You're listening to Equipped, the preaching ministry of First Baptist Dry Prong in Dry Prong, Louisiana. Today we continue our series through the book of First Corinthians. The message is entitled, The Necessity of Tough Love, found in First Corinthians chapter 5. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy. Enjoy today to continue preaching through First Corinthians, and we're going to be in somewhat of a not a challenging passage, but a uh, very convicting passage today in First Corinthians chapter five. So I ask you to turn there, and while you turn there, let me tell you a, a story as we begin this morning. It's been a busy week, and uh, it's been a challenging week for me trying to work ahead, knowing that me and Ray had to go to Chattanooga. And on top of all that, I've been dealing with a, a sickness over the last few months. And I couldn't quite figure out what it was, and I went to the doctor, and the doctor I explained to him that I've just been getting slow, I've been getting lethargic, I'm not the man I once was, I can't figure out what it is. And the doctor has ran some tests on me, and the doctor uh, came and he said, Kevin, I've, I've got some bad news and I've got some good news. He said, Kevin, here's, here's the bad news. I found something in your body that does not belong there. And if it goes untreated, you will lose motor function. You will get slower and slower. And ultimately, your body will cease to function and you will go on. That's the bad news. But Kevin, listen, I've got, got good news. You're young. I've dealt with this before. What I've found is very, very treatable. All you have to do is sign the paper. It won't be a fun process, but we can handle it. We'll get it out, and you can make a full recovery, and you can live a great, full life. You'll see your children, your grandchildren, and things will be great. So that's your decision, Kevin. Well, after much thought, deliberation, uh, especially whenever he came and showed me the test results, I thought about it, and I saw, I saw what didn't belong in my body. I saw that, that, that tumor, that mass, and I've decided that it's just not worthwhile to go through that treatment process. I mean, it's just too much trouble. And when I saw the picture of the tumor, I think, I think it's beautiful the way it is, and I just think it would be a crying shame to take that out of my body. So I'm not going to take it out of my body. I'm going to deal with the consequences, and I'm going to celebrate that tumor for being just what God has made it to be. Now, I hope you know this morning, that's an illustration that did not really happen. But had it really happened, my prayer, my prayer is that somebody in this place, hopefully a bunch of somebodies, would grab me by the shoulders and say, Kevin, are you crazy? Are you crazy? This is something that's treatable. This is something that doesn't belong. This is something that could claim your life. You're young. We can fix this. What are you celebrating a tumor? Have you lost your mind? If I was in a situation like that, I would need some tough love from somebody to bring me to reality. So what does that have to do with 1 Corinthians chapter 5? Well, we've been going through 1 Corinthians And it's been a wonderful, wonderful time studying God's Word. And we've spent the first four chapters talking about unity and harmony. And last week we just ended it so perfect with partaking of the Lord's Supper, saying we were united. We're one body composed of many members. We're one body going forward to to reach the world, to carry out the Great Commission. Well, what happens... 
What happens when something infiltrates the body? What happens when something starts to, to nag at the body, destroy the body? What do we do? Today we're going to begin a new section in 1 Corinthians, and that is what had happened in this church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we read about a person, a person who had done something grievous, and instead of the 1 Corinthians dealing with it, the 1 Corinthians decided it was something that could be tolerated and maybe even celebrated. In this 1 Corinthians chapter 5 passage, I've entitled it The Necessity of Tough Love. Because the truth is, church, if you're in a church very long, if you're a church member very long, there will come a time, especially in our culture and context today, I would argue even more so than back when this was written, there will come a time when tough love needs to be taken. Such was the case in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So let's read and we'll go through it. I'm going to go through the whole chapter this morning. I hope it doesn't take too long, but this is one of those chapters that just really does not need to be broken up. You need to read the the whole thing. So 1 Corinthians, let's start chapter 5. Let's read verses 1 and 2. Paul says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles. Or pagans, your translations may say. That a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. So you see the problem. Verse 1. Paul addresses the report. And Paul's a long way away and somehow it got back to him. So listen, bad news gets out. He redresses the report. That a man is having a sexual relationship with his stepmother. And his statement here that he says it's not even named among the Gentiles. What he's saying there in Roman law, I learned this. Romans, they they were a culture much like us in the Greco-Roman world. But in Roman law, this was illegal. And these Corinthians, rather than being sad over it, they're puffed up. They've got the attitude, it's not a big deal. Jesus loves everyone, and Paul rebukes them for having such an attitude. The first truth I'd like you to take away from 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is that unrepentant sinners should be taken seriously. I want you to notice the verbiage here. The verbiage, the verbiage here is present tense. He didn't say he has had. He doesn't say that he's planning on it. It's going on right now. And this is really a multi, multi, multifaceted problem. Because you see, number one, it's adultery. We're told one husband, one wife. Number two, it's incest. That's a whole other issue. Number three, the unnamed person. There's two people involved in this. And this unnamed person, the stepmother, is probably not a believer. That's a whole other issue he's going to address later. Number four, it's illegal. So there's all this stuff going on. And instead of being bothered by this, instead of weeping over this, the first Corinthian church, the Corinthians, they're puffed up. They're not mourning. They're not doing anything about it. And church, many, many years has came and went since this was written. 
But I will tell you, you don't have to look very hard to see it happening all over our churches today. Where there is blatant, open, unrepentant sin. And I'm going to harp on that word, unrepentant sin. Where church members do nothing about it. Even worse, they celebrate it. They have the attitude, well, we're a diverse church. Every, every sinner is welcome here. That's a half-truth. But even worse than tolerating it, they celebrate it. Because we're diverse, we let unrepentant sinners lead our worship. We let them disciple our youth. We let them pastor our churches. We go so far that we might even put a plaque or a flag outside celebrating the sin. And church, I want to tell you, that may be popular in culture and it may gain you a bunch of numbers. But unrepentant sin in the life of a believer, I'm telling you, is a cancer in the body. It spreads and you may not think it's a big deal. It may not look like a big deal immediately, but it has long-term effects. And I will tell you, it eventually kills the body. And even if it does not kill the body, it warps the body into something that God never intended it to be. It takes a holy church and to a country club. I plead with you today, church. I plead with you today by looking at these first two verses to start taking sin seriously for your sake, for your church's sake, for my sake. I'm not saying you'll never sin. That's not the idea here at all. The man standing behind this pulpit sins. It's a struggle I have. It's a struggle I will always always have. But when I sin and when you sin as a church member, our hearts should break over it. There is no sin, absolutely no sin, whether it's something as blatant as the sexual immorality or whether it's something as not loving your neighbor as yourself, whether it's lying, whether it's cursing, there is no sin whatsoever that should ever be tolerated, accepted, and certainly not celebrated. We should be broken over our sin. That sin is what sent your Savior to the cross. That sin is why we're in the condition we are today. Take sin seriously. And it will never get to the part that the point it had gotten here in 1 Corinthians 5. So what are they to do? Paul says, I can't believe you've not done anything about this. You're puffed up. You're not mourning. So Paul doesn't leave them without a plan. He tells them exactly what they should do. Just like he would be there. This is what he says in verses 3 through 5. He said, For I indeed, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present, him who has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. You see what well, we had to talk about judging couple of weeks ago because Paul says look you guys need to get together when you're together and you need to remove this person from your assembly the second truth if you want this to be a New Testament church if you want it to be a church built on the rock there is a place for church discipline New Testament churches practice church discipline Paul's blunt here he says when you're all gathered remove this person from your assembly well, what does he mean in verse 5? Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. 
I believe he's saying, look, you need to get him outside of the body so he can see the folly of his ways. Because here's the truth. A lot of times an unrepentant sinner is never, ever going to be a repentant sinner unless he or she is brought to the reality that, hey, they're messing up. They're doing wrong. By removing this person, Paul's saying that just maybe, just maybe when you get him out, maybe when you get him among the world, maybe his spirit will be revived and maybe, just maybe, he'll go from being totally unrepentant to getting on his knees and being truly repentant. Church, I'm going to tell you something today. If there is one thing our churches, and I'm going to be personal this morning, if there is one thing our churches, and in particular, I'm going to say Southern Baptist churches, because that's what I know. If there's one thing we're lacking on, it's this idea of church discipline. You see, I've been going to Baptist churches for 40 years now. I'll be 40 next month, and I've never been a member of any other one. And in those 40 years, ever since being a child, being a baby, I feel like I've seen everything that can possibly occur in church life. I've seen pastors asked to leave. I've seen pastors voted out. I've seen deacons up and resign over getting angry. I've seen uh, business meetings break out where people get angry over the craziest stuff. I've heard stories about ice machines and rocks and the colors of walls and using the air conditioners. I feel like I've seen it all. But you know what I've never seen in 40 years? I have never not once seen church discipline practiced. There's a place in our policy for it. But I wonder, have you ever seen that taking place? Now, to be fair, to be fair, usually, usually, nine times out of ten, it's handled behind the scenes when, before it gets to this point. But I know that I know that I know, in the 40 years I've been a Baptist, I know there's been times when this kind of practice needs to take place and excuses are made for the person. Usually, the excuses go like this. Well, I know they're sinning, they're unrepentant, but you know what? He or she was just raised hard. Brother Kevin, you don't know how he or she was raised. They had a hard mom, they had an alcoholic mom, an alcoholic dad. Well, Brother Kevin, you don't know. That's, that's so-and-so's kid. That's, that, that, that person was, was the pastor here. That person was the deacon here. That person was the song leader here. We can't do that. Do you know what would happen? Well, you know what? They're just young, Brother Kevin. They're just young. They'll get married eventually. We just make excuses just like the first Corinthians had done here. And what ends up happening, we tolerate sin. And we wonder why our churches are stagnant and in constant decline. I'll tell you, church, I believe that many of our churches have a problem and we're scared, scared, scared to admit it. So let me just take you, let me just encourage you, church. If you know a Christian, and you probably do, if you know a Christian, uh, somebody who claims to be part of the body, and they're living in blatant, unrepentant sin, well then go read Matthew 18. Go to them with somebody else and try to deal with it before it gets to the point it had here in the Corinthian church. Because if not, I can tell you, I, frequently I kind of do a survey of where I'm at and where I'm going to be. And I will tell you, if it's not dealt with now, in my ministry, I'm 40 years old now, I hope I've got 20, 30 more left. 
Odds are, given our culture and our context, there will come a time when New Testament church discipline has to be practiced. There'll come a time when we'll have to make a decision to remove such a person from our assembly. And I don't want that to happen. Lord, I would hate to see that happen. But listen to me, church, I... This, as the church body, I would rather have 100 biblical members who mourn over their sin, over the sin of their brothers and their sisters, than 10,000 unrepentant sinners. What are we doing here? We're trying to be a holy people for a holy God. We're called to be His body and His bride. We've got to take this stuff seriously. They were not doing that. They were not doing that. Paul calls them out for it even more. He says in verse 6, look what he says. You're glorying. You're glorying and this is not good. Do you not know? Don't you know? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you are truly unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Sincerity and truth calls for tough love. And what I want you to see by this, your glorying, he says, is not good. What I would share with you through this is that tolerance is not a fruit of the Spirit. This is what I keep coming back to. So many times today we as believers, we think that tolerance is just what Jesus was. Paul says what you guys are doing here is crazy. You're glorying in this and it's destroying the body. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. You're a lump. You need to get the leaven out. We're called to be holy. And people get into this mindset today like the Corinthians and we literally think that tolerance is a fruit of the Spirit. And I'm telling you, go read Galatians 5 and you won't see that there. As a matter of fact, just have a little sidebar. Go look in Revelation chapter 2 real quick. Hold your place in 1 Corinthians. But look in Revelation chapter 2. In Revelation, John the Revelator, he gets a revelation from Jesus Christ. If you have a red letter Bible, these words are written in red and they are written to churches. So I want you to see today what Jesus Christ has to say to the churches in Revelation. Actual churches, real churches. I'm going to show you two places. The first is uh, the church in Ephesus. Revelation 2.2. He says, Jesus says, I know your works, your labor, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. You have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. This is a commendation to the Ephesians. He's saying, I know your works. You're doing great because you're not tolerating evil. I appreciate you, church, for not tolerating evil. I appreciate you for testing those who are saying they're apostles and are not. I appreciate that. Don't tell me that tolerance is the fruit of the Spirit when Jesus says, I appreciate you for not tolerating some. Look down in Revelation 2.20 now. Look in verse 20. Where he talks to uh, Theatra. Verse 20. This is a condemnation from Jesus Christ. He says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. 
Because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things to idols. So you see what Jesus says. Jesus commends one church for not tolerating evil. And then just a few verses down, Jesus, Jesus condemns a church for tolerating evil. Toleration is not a fruit of the Spirit. Toleration is something that we've got to deal with. Jesus loves a church who holds its members accountable. He said it point blank. And He has a problem with the church that tolerates sin amongst its members. So church, I plead with you today, don't tolerate and certainly don't celebrate the sin of others. This is why you need not ask me to officiate a same-sex wedding. It's why you need not ask me to attend. Save the ink and don't invite me because I'm not coming. This is why you're not going to see me liking or sharing some posts on social media. I'm not going to do it because if Jesus hates it, I hate it. I'm not going to bend or I'm not going to bow for popularity's sake. And you shouldn't either. Because I care more about pleasing Jesus than pleasing culture. But now we're kind of in a weird place, right? Because, well, there's unrepentant sinners everywhere. So if we can't tolerate unrepentant sinners, boy, we're going to have a hard time carrying out this great commission. I mean, our world's full of it. So what in the world are we to do? Somebody comes in here that's uh, living in adultery. Somebody comes in that's pregnant outside of wedlock. I mean, you can go down the, the list. What, what are we to do? I mean, because that's just kind of a weird place. And I think that's why Paul clarifies himself in the next few verses. There was a letter that Paul had written. This is why this is actually the second letter to the Corinthians. It's actually 2 Corinthians. We don't have the first letter. But he wrote them and he told them not to tolerate sexually immoral people. And he clarifies himself in the next few verses. He says, I wrote to you, verse 9, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a rivaler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what, I, what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? Both those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves this evil person. Paul clarifies himself. And what I see in here is that there's a different treatment for those that are inside the body and those outside the body. It's truth for inside the body versus outside the body. Paul reminds them of a letter that he had wrote that we don't have. And in that letter, he told them, don't keep company with sexually immoral people. Well, if I was a teenager, I'd use this with my parents. And I'd be like, see, I can't go to school. I mean, you see my teacher? I can't, I can't be in her class. There ain't no way. But Paul clarifies himself. And he says, guys, I'm talking about within the body. He says in verse 11, anyone who calls himself a brother. And he says not to even eat with such a person. Likely, I believe this is a reference to the Lord's Supper. 
was done differently then and he tells them later to examine themselves and I believe he's telling them out of love don't let that brother eat with you guys because he's, he's eating to, to damnation don't do that but at the end of the day you see we're to love everybody the same but to a degree we're to treat those inside and outside the body differently so look I'll go to a ball game with unrepentant sinners I'll go to the work site with unrepentant sinners I will allow whoever to walk through the doors and see us worshiping together. But when it comes to church members, when it comes to church membership, that's a different situation. Because I don't want to pollute God's temple. More is expected of the body and bride of Christ. I hope you'll apply this this morning. By holding each other accountable, it's tempting to read this and it's tempting to hear me and say, boy, I don't want to be a member there. I can't imagine having to be held so accountable. But church, I tell you, that's one of the most beautiful things about church membership because we are a people that can't hardly do it on our own. We need to realize that church membership belonging to a body isn't a hateful thing, a hurtful thing. It may be a hard thing sometimes, but it is a beautiful thing. We'll never be perfect, but boy, we should strive to be the best we could be. That's when I need my, my brother or my sister member of First Baptist Drive Prong to point me out, to, to call me out, to build me up. That's why we do life together. We read all of chapter 5 and it's tempted to say, well, Brother Kevin, boy, this just sounds so hateful. It sounds so judgmental. There's no way in 2023 that we can enforce this kind of expectations on church members. It's the 21st century after all. Haven't you seen the news, love is love? And I understand that sentiment, but I want you to know before we get out of here, I want you to know the idea is that all of this is done out of love. And you know what? The, the idea is not getting rid of somebody forever. The idea is, sending, is, is getting them right to welcome them back in. And do you know what? This actually worked. I want you to turn out of 2 Corinthians. It'll be a long time before we get here, but it's 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Just one book over. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We could see how this played out. I guess, I guess it's the implication, but I think it's a, a safe assumption to say this is who he's talking about. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3 through 10. He says, And I wrote this very thing to you, the letter we're going through now, when I came. I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. Not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have abundantly for you. But if anyone has caused grief, he's not grieved me, but all of you to some extent. Not to be too severe, this punishment, look at verse 6. This punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. So that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore I urge you, reaffirm your love to him. For to this end I also wrote, that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. 
Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For indeed, I have forgiven anything. I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of it. For we are not ignorant of his devices. This person welcomed this one back. Forgive this one. Brought before the majority. The assumption by scholars. The assumption by myself. This is the one that he was talking about in chapter 5. We see Paul's heart over this. He said he wrote to him in, in tears. And Paul didn't want to go through this. But Paul knew it had to be done. And apparently they listened to Paul. They got together. They, they got the person away. And the person came back asking for forgiveness. The goal is restoration and it works. Welcome him back, Paul says. What a picture of the gospel. The man who had his father's right. The man who was coming to church. The man who was unrepentant about it. Paul said he's seen the error of his ways. Now welcome him back and comfort him, guys. Is that not a perfect picture of the gospel? Is that not a perfect picture of the prodigal coming home? Church, I would tell you, in life I've found the two phrases that are the hardest things to say is I'm sorry and equally as hard as I forgive. Paul addressed them both here. Paul said, look, you got to get him to a place where he says, I'm sorry. And you guys have got to get to a place where you say, I forgive. Church, this chapter has been about church discipline. This chapter has been about dealing with somebody in our midst that's polluting the body. But can I just take it and make it a bit personal this morning? Can I just tell you, just as sin within the church body destroys you, can I tell you that sin within your body destroys you as well? And maybe you're here today, maybe you're not a church member, maybe you don't understand this stuff about church, but maybe you do know that there is something missing in your life, there is something that's taking you down, you can't find joy, you can't find hope, you can't find peace, and you don't know what it is. Well, I can tell you what it is. It's this thing we call sin. And it's not your fault that you were born with sin. It's your daddy's, 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 daddy's fault all the way back to Adam. We've inherited this nature and sin destroys everything in your life. And there is nothing you can do about it. But let me tell you this morning, I know someone who can. The Bible says that Jesus died for you while you were yet a sinner. And the Bible says that if you will go to Him with a truly repentant heart... Repentant of your sin, repentant of all the times that you've lied, all the times that you've cheated, anything and everything. If you go to him with those two hardest words to say, I'm sorry, the Bible says that Christ is happy to say, I forgive and welcome you right in the family. Oh, friends, family, lost person, backslidden person. If you've never accepted this forgiveness, boy, today would be a good day to do it. Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the message. I hope you understood it. I hope you understand the necessity of tough love. That unrepentant sinners should be taken seriously. That New Testament churches practice church discipline. Tolerance is not a fruit of the Spirit. 
I hope you see the difference of how we treat those inside the body versus how we treat those outside the body. And most importantly, I hope you understand that the goal in all this is restoration and it works. Thanks for listening. If you're ever in the area, I hope you'll come join us for worship at First Baptist Dry Prong. We're on Highway 167 right here in central Louisiana. Tonight we have a special service at our worship service that begins at 6. We'll start with baptism and a message from the book of Jeremiah. Have a great week.